Notice whose image man was made in. God's. So why is the soul so valuable? Because it's made in God's image. Now, man admires buildings. Okay, this is a nice building. It's beautiful. You can come in here and admire a little bit. And man might admire money and things along those lines. But God's desire is toward the soul of man. That's really where God's focus is. And the one thing that God values in the universe is you. Because you have a soul. The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. Let's take our Bibles, please, at this time and turn to the Gospel of Matthew in the 10th chapter. Matthew chapter 10. We've been talking all month long here about missions and themes along those lines. I'd like to continue actually with a thought that I started last week. I mentioned something last time. I want to just build on it this time, if I may. Here in Matthew chapter 10, we find the Lord Jesus Christ instructing and talking and teaching and preaching. And notice with me these three verses, beginning in verse number 29. He says, Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing, and one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. Notice in verse 31 those words, ye are of more value. The choir is sung about the value of one. The, the trio here is sung about the perishing of just one. And I'd like to talk today about the value of one, but the value primarily of your soul. We'll be talking about that, but let's ask the Lord to bless first, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, we pray, dear Lord, that you would be with us now in these next few moments, that you would speak to our hearts, teach us some things. And Father, especially for those here who do not know where their soul will spend eternity, I pray that you would show them the value of that knowledge and the value of their soul. We pray now these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If somebody was to offer you a lot of money, let's just say $10 million, to um, surgically remove your left toe, that's all you had to do was give up your toe, your little toe, your left toe. Would you take that $10 million? Now don't start raising your hands or showing dollar signs in your eyes, ching, ching. But I dare say that there are some folks here who would say $10 million for my little toe? Yeah, I'll do that. Well, let's up the ante a little bit. Let's say you're right-handed and, I, and, and they say, I'll give you $10 million if I can surgically remove your left hand. Now, you still have your right hand. It's the dominant hand. All you got to do is walk through life with just a stump on your left arm. Would you take that $10 million? Well, we'd probably wean down the numbers here just a little bit, wouldn't we? But if I were to say, all right, you're, you're right-handed, and somebody said, I'll give you $10 million if I can surgically remove your right arm at the shoulder. Now, I wonder how many of you would take up that person on that and say, well, I'd be set for life. $10 million, a lot of money. Yeah, I'd do it. Now, we're probably weeding out most people here, but I dare say there are people around the world that would say, yeah, I'd take you up on that deal. But let's add to it the the left leg. You remove your right arm and your left leg. Would it whittle back the numbers? And let's add to it your two eyes. So now you're blind and add to it your ears and now you're deaf. 
I mean, obviously at some point there's a price where everybody drops off and says, count me out, all right? I wouldn't take that deal. But would there be somebody who would take that deal all the way? The point is this. Our limbs are valuable, aren't they? Our ears, our eyes, those are valuable things. But folks, there's something more valuable than any body part, and it's your soul. You see where I'm heading with this, don't you? Your soul is worth more than the whole world. Your soul is incredibly valuable. Now, what's a soul? Well, the soul is the real you. Nobody's ever seen a soul, but it's in there. And everyone has one. And we receive it at conception. I could show you that biblically if we had time. Your soul's the real you. Your soul is your personality. Your soul is uh, what makes up your affections. What makes you laugh and cry and happy and sad. Even identical twins, they act differently. And the parents can tell them apart by the way they act. Why? They have individual souls. We all have a soul. But what is that soul worth? Well, here in our text, we find Christ talking in Matthew chapter 10. Notice, first of all, he says in verse 29, are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? You say, what in the world is that? Well, it's like a tenth of a Roman penny back in those days. So we're talking about a really minute, insignificant amount of money here. And two sparrows were sold for that amount of money back then. He says, are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. Now he's saying here, without God taking notice of that. You ever had a a bird smack into one of your picture windows that was maybe too clean? (laughs) And of course, a bird thinks, oh, that's just open air. I can just whoosh right through it. It happens to... Uh, birds out at our place all the time. It's a sad incident. You go out there and there's, there's a dead bird on the ground. But God noticed that bird die there. That, that bird fall to the ground. Jesus tells us here, it won't happen without the Heavenly Father noticing that. Now in verse number 30, he goes on. He says, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. His point is this. If God could notice a little insignificant bird, man, you're way more important than that. In fact, God knows how many hairs are on the top of your head. And for some of us, it's getting to be less work for him to keep track of all the time. Amen? Now, notice verse number 31. He says, Fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. That word value there, very important word there. In the Greek, it's the word diaphoro. And and that word value there means, it actually goes with the word more. More value means higher worth. In the Greek, it's simply talking about a higher assessment than a sparrow. Something that excels the worth of a sparrow here. Now, we understand what worth is all about. Uh, Many of you own houses. What's your house worth? If an appraiser were to come to your house today and and put up a value on it, what would it be worth? How about your possessions? We we have possessions. What are your possessions worth? You say, well, they're, they're probably worth more to me than somebody else, which is another good point. Really, worth is, is really dependent upon the person. For example, you might be into baseball card collecting, and somebody else might not be. And a, a Honus Wagner original might be worth, you know, half a million dollars to you, while most of you here go, who? You have no idea who I'm even talking about. Because things have different worth to different people. I heard of somebody who paid $7,000 for a pair of tennis shoes. Nothing special about them. They were just tennies. But they were tennies that Michael Jordan had owned and worn and played basketball in. So they were worth something to somebody. But the question is this. What are you worth to God? That's really a good question. What are you worth to God? 
You know, the cross of Jesus Christ really says something, folks. The fact that Jesus Christ went to Calvary to save your soul really tells me that you are worth something. Jesus doesn't die for junk, folks. He died to save your soul. And that makes your soul very, very valuable. If you would, turn to Matthew chapter 16, just a few pages forward. I was in a restaurant this last week with my wife, and the waitress had an accent. And I said, where are you from? She said, Shermany. And uh, I said, whereabouts? She said, Aachen. I said, Aachen. I said, you ever been to the cathedral there? She said, yeah. I said, have you ever seen Charlemagne's grave? You say, well, who's Charlemagne? You don't know who Charlemagne was. I mean, he is at one time, the, and, and still to this day, the most significant figure to ever live in the Middle Ages. He, he actually lived from 742 up until 814. And the most famous man at that time, he was a household word. And yet when Charlemagne died, he requested that the Bible be laid on his lap and his finger on a certain verse in the Bible. You know what verse it was? It's right here in Matthew chapter 16. This verse, verse number 26. Jesus said, For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? That's quite a loaded question. He doesn't give the answer. I think the implication is obvious there. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? It profits him nothing. He's made a bad deal. Poor exchange. He says, or... What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? You know, it's, it's really a loaded question. And yet people don't stop and think about it. And it was fitting and appropriate that the, the, the bony finger of Charlemagne rest on that verse of the Bible. Because he at one time had the whole world by the tail. But that soul, more important, more valuable. Now as we talk about the value of your soul, first of all, let's talk about the reason it's valuable, and the first reason is because of its image. Because of its image. If you would, turn to Genesis chapter 1. Way back to the first book, in the first chapter of the first book of the Bible. Every soul has its origin with God. You say, well, Adam's did, and maybe Eve's did, but not mine. Oh, no, no. If I had time, I could show you, biblically speaking, every soul has its origin with God. God designs and sends every soul into every body at every conception. But besides that, every soul is made in the image of God. Now, I want you to think about that. You know, a plant has a body like this. Not a plastic one, but a real one has a body. And an animal has a body and a soul. Because really a soul is a personality and all that kind of thing. Animals have that. i got a golden retriever. He's, and cats, they have personalities, all right? And so every animal has a body and a soul. But only man was made in God's image a trinity of body, soul, and spirit. And we find out here as God has created everything else up to this point in six days, it comes down to the time to create His masterpiece. And He's going to make man, and notice what He says here. We have the Trinity talking amongst themselves in Genesis 1.26. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Notice the plurality there. You say, who's God talking to? Himself. Here's the Trinity in a huddle, if you will, saying, let's make man in our image after our likeness. Goes on in verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Notice whose image man was made in. God's. 
So why is the soul so valuable? Because it's made in God's image. That human being is valuable to God because it's the only thing in the universe that was made in the image of God. Now, man admires buildings. Okay, this is a nice building. It's beautiful. You can come in here and admire a little bit. And man might admire money and things along those lines, but God's desire is toward the soul of man. That's really where God's focus is. And, and the one thing that God values in the universe is you, because you have a soul. In fact, the Bible speaks about man being the apple of his eye. And we use that expression to this day. You're the reason for planet Earth. I mean, God wouldn't be interested in an uninhabited planet. He made planet Earth for man. You are the reason for the stars. You say, man, they're just billions of miles away. What good do they do us? You can look at them at night and know that somebody designed this universe and somebody made those stars. You're the reason there are stars out there. You didn't evolve out of some slime. You have a soul. You were planned by God. You were designed by God. You are valuable to God. There's nothing in this universe that means anything to God. In fact, we, we pine after gold, you know, and, and money and jewels and things along those lines. They mean nothing to God. I've been to the Tower of London in London. I've seen the, the crown jewels of Europe with all the jewels and the diamonds and the emeralds and the gold and all that. And God goes, yawn, whatever. That means nothing to Him. But you do. The human soul means everything to God. Anything else, all the jewels, all the worthless rocks to God, basically. But not you. Your soul is of an estimable value. And in fact, Jesus said, if you gain the whole world, I mean all the gold in Fort Knox, all the oil in Saudi Arabia, and you lose your soul, you made a bad exchange. Your soul was made in God's image. We read in 1 Corinthians eleven seven: for a man indeed is the image of and glory of God. Why is your soul valuable? Because of its image. In Ezekiel 18.4, God says, Behold, all souls are mine. As the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. What does God want? Souls. What's important to God? Souls. Why? Well, because they were made in God's image. Your soul is valuable because of its image. But secondly, your soul is valuable because of its immortality. Because of its immortality. Back in, in September of 15, no, of 1452, Gutenberg produced his first book off the printing press. Now, up to that time, you know, books were just kind of just copied by hand over and over again. But the printing press of Gutenberg revolutionized the world. And in September, I think it was September 30th, of 1452, the first book rolled off the printing press. Guess what it was? It was the Bible. And he spent the next three years producing 180 Bibles. That was quite an accomplishment. Fifty of them exist to this day, but they're, they're really mostly in very poor condition. But there are three that exist today that are in pretty decent condition. And one of those, I think, sold for over $3 million, I think $3.2 million here a while back. It's very, very valuable. And you say, well, why? Well, because of its significance, but secondly, because of its antiquity. It's really, really old. But there's something more valuable than a Gutenberg Bible. And that is your soul. Your soul. Because it's immortal. Now, what does it mean if something is immortal? Well, it means it's eternal. It means it's undying. It means it's perpetual. It's, it's never-ending. It's ceaseless. Everlasting. And that's your soul. 
your soul. Now, one day your soul is going to leave your body. When, when your heart stops, that'll be the end of your body, but not the end of you. We read in Ecclesiastes 12, 7, Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit shall return unto God who gave it. And God will dictate at that time what He does with that. There are two places that everybody is going to spend forever. One of two places. Either heaven or hell according to the Bible. And we find out one day, then shall the dust, that is your body, return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit, that speaks of the soul, shall return unto God who gave it. Look if you would in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I was talking to a physician, uh, I think the week before last, maybe it was just this past week, and uh, I was asking him, you know, as you grow old, you know, you shrink and you, you hurt when you get out of bed and all this stuff happens every morning. And, and I said, how fast are people going downhill? And he said, well, really, you know, from the time you're born, you're, you're going downhill. He said, you kind of uh, go up a little bit for the first nine months. That's encouraging, isn't it? And after that, <laughs> it's downhill. And even athletes, you know, by the time they're in their later 20s, the first thing to wear out really are the legs. And uh, they don't get paid as much. They're just kind of on the way out. Because you peak and then you go downhill. But he, he also made this statement. He said, really, the body uh, loses about 1% of its strength every day in a muscle that is not flexed in some, in some way. So if you just, you know, sit around, basically, you're going to be like, you know, jello nailed to a wall, you know. Eventually, you're just going to kind of, there you are, you know. But, but if you don't flex a muscle for eight seconds... Every day, you will lose 1% of your muscle mass every single day. So where does that put you after 100 days? You're that jello, right? Because the point is, our bodies are going downhill. And it's just a fact of life. In 2 Corinthians 4, and in verse number 16, it says, For which cause we faint not. Now watch this. But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. You say, that's a mouthful. What's that talking about? Well, that outward man, that's the body. And, and it's, it's decaying. It's, it's going downhill. It's degenerating. It's, it, says, it says, for though our outward man perish. We're on the way to the grave, folks. I know I'm not trying to make your day by saying those things, but it's a fact. Though our outward man is continually going downhill and perishing is how it's really in the Greek. It says, yet the inward man that's your soul, is renewed day by day. Your soul is no more older today than it was yesterday. It'll be no more older tomorrow than it is today. It's being renewed day by day. It's eternal. It's just as fresh. It's just. And by the way, don't you feel like that? Those of you who are aging like me, in mind you say, man, I'm still 18. What's going on here? That's your soul. It still feels that way. But the body says, uh-uh, no, no, it's not that way. And, and notice that inward man is renewed day by day. It's immortal. It's going to live forever. Now, what is the most important thing in your life that you own right now? I mean, don't, don't shout it out if you could just, you know, in your mind, write it down. And, okay, it'd be this. All right? The moment your heart stops, what do you think the most important thing will be then? You say, well, <clears throat> that's different. When your heart stops... It will be your soul. Now, there are people today, and they, they live for happiness. I want to be happy. You know, that, that's their thing. And, and others, they, they, it's gladness. They want to be glad, and there's others who want to enjoy life, and, and uh, those who live for pleasure. Those are all fine, but they're really shallow. I mean, if, if you compare them to the most important thing, and that being your soul, they're very shallow. 
I mean, we're just passing through, folks, and there's a bigger picture to life than really most people realize. Bible tells us in James 4 and verse 14, for what is your life? It's a good question. It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Have you ever boiled tea or had something that was wisping out steam on the stove there and, and you just saw it for a moment and it was gone? The Bible says that's what our lives are like. They're like a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then, and then they're gone. And we are here today and gone tomorrow so truly. Now, what should get the most attention? Your body or your soul? What should get the most attention, our attention? Should it be the here and now or the the then and thereafter? Should it be the temporal or or should it be the permanent? Notice verse 18 here in the same chapter, 2 Corinthians 4.18. Paul says, while we look not at the things which are seen, all right, that's the visible, the tangible. That's, that's the stuff we're, we're living amongst right now. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. See the difference there? Paul says, live for those things that you can't see. They're eternal. Not the temporal, not the tangible, not the uh, terrestrial, okay? But the celestial. The eternal. Live for those things. Your soul is more important than anything temporal upon this earth because of its immortality. But thirdly, because of its implications. You know the most valuable land in the world is located in Japan. Or at least was. Alright? I've flown over Japan before. I've flown over it at night. I'll never forget it. We took off. I mean, you you feel like you're landing on water. I'm going, boy, I hope this guy knows where the land is because it's pitch black out. And then you take off afterwards, and and, uh, really, you're out on the ocean instantly. And I look back, and here's the, as we got further away, the island of Japan. And it's all lit up because, I mean, every square inch of it has something going on. And so you can't miss the, the outline of the island there. And the most valuable land in the world is in, in, in Tokyo. And it's in the middle of Tokyo, central Tokyo, downtown Tokyo, outside of the media building of Tokyo there. They say that the land there sells for a quarter of a million dollars per square mile? No. Square acre? Mm Mm-mm. Square yard? Nope. Square foot. Square foot. A quarter of a million dollars. So you got, you got, uh, well, let's just say two square feet or, or four square feet or four feet. That's a million bucks. You can imagine that. I mean, for a little piece of ground like this, a million bucks. That's valuable. It's very valuable. But Jesus said, your soul is worth more than the whole world. Why? Because of its implications. Let me share those with you. Look, if you would, in First Peter chapter 5. Because of its implications. I want you to think about this. What is most important to God? Well, we've already covered that. Your soul, right? Well, let's take it a step further. If it's important to God, don't you believe that it's important to Satan? I mean, the devil knows what's important to God, and suddenly that makes it important to Satan. And so he's interested in your soul. There's a spiritual battle that's taking place. That's what I'm getting at. That's one of the implications. In 1 Peter 5, and in verse number 8, it tells us, it warns us, be sober. Be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. 
Notice that. The devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. I've seen a lion. I've seen a lion in the wild. Jeremy and I were out driving through Africa in, in the middle of the night and a lioness walked right across the road. It was after midnight. And, and, and what a picture of the devil walking about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You know, people are, are grossly underestimating what the soul means to Satan. What your soul means to Satan. Jesus Christ was talking in Luke twenty-two thirty-one, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. He's talking to Simon Peter here and he says, Simon, listen up. The devil wants you. He wants to sift you as wheat. Now, it's the 21st century, but the devil hasn't given up on God's people. Every Christian here has a bullseye on them. I'll guarantee you that. Every Christian family, every Christian young person, lost or saved, has a bullseye on them by the devil. And by the way, young people tend to think they're invincible. Oh, he can't get to me. I'm too strong for him. If he could get to a fisherman, and did not Peter, that burly, hairy-chested fisherman, deny the Lord three times? The devil got to him, didn't he? And, and Jesus saw it coming there. The devil got to Samson, didn't he? The devil got to, to King Saul, didn't he? The devil even got to David, a man after God's own heart. And Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. But the devil got to them. Now, are you telling me you're any match for Satan, young or old? By the way, there's a warning to preachers in the Bible. 1 Timothy 3.7. It says, lest he, the pastor, fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. The point is this, the devil is after your soul. Why? Because your soul is valuable to Satan. You say, why does he want it? Out of spite. He hates God. He'll do anything to get back at God. If he can get at God by getting at you, he'll take great joy and do that. And so the first implication is Satan's after your soul. But secondly, society is after your soul. Did you know that? I, I talked last time, in fact, turn back to James chapter 4 if you would. Just a couple of pages there. I talked last time about the mush God. Remember that? The God of society that, that humanity has invented. There's really no such thing, but in their mind, God's this, this, this mushy God with no standards and no doctrine and, and no justice and no judgment, just all love and, and all, all peace and mercy and everything. The mush God. And society has sold a, itself, really, a, a bill of goods with this false god. But notice here in James chapter 4, and verse 4, the warning from God's word. It says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. It's talking about the world system. The world's a wicked system. You say, why are people behaving the way they're behaving? Why is it that nobody's blushing at this sex-saturated society? In fact, we have a generation that has really lost its ability to blush. And you say, well, why? Because they have in their mind this God of their own imagination that they've invented. And I'm telling you, society is after your soul. You have got to guard your soul. So Satan's after it. Society's after it. But you add to it a third ingredient. Your own misdirected heart is after dragging you down. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Your heart will lie to you faster than anything else. 
And I have seen good people sucked down because they followed their heart instead of the Word of God. They thought they had the answer instead of God's Word having the answer. And I'm telling you, your own heart will lie to you. We read in Ephesians 4.18, it says of mankind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Now those aren't flattering adjectives, are they? But I've highlighted some of them. Alienated, ignorance, blindness, and your own heart will lie to you. Why is your soul so valuable? Because of the implications. Satan's after it. Society's after it. Self really is after it. You say, well, I must really be something if I'm so valuable to everyone. Well, it's not because of anything we've done. In fact, in Romans 3.12, God says of us, they are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Notice that word unprofitable there. Really, the bottom line, it's acreo in the Greek, and it means useless, all right? I mean, in ourselves, we're useless. But God loves us nonetheless, and we're valuable to Him nonetheless. You say, well, why? Well, in Deuteronomy 7, Moses said to his people, the Lord did not set His love upon you, nor choose you because you were more in number than any people, but because the Lord loved you. You say, well, why? Well, because God has chosen to love us. But because the Lord loved you, that's why we're special. Plain and simple. That's why we're valuable. We see the value of the soul because of its image, its immortality, its implications, and finally, because of its importance. Plain and simple. How do we know the soul is so valuable? It's simple. The cost of the soul proves its worth. I'll say that again. The cost of the soul proves its worth. You say, what do you mean by that? In Romans 5, 6, it says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. But God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, if the Son of God would die for our soul, it tells us it's very valuable. It's very important. Notice a couple things here. For when you were yet without strength, that means unable to earn our way to heaven. You will never earn your way to heaven. I could never earn my way to heaven. We are without strength in that area. It says, in due time, Christ died, notice next, for the ungodly. You say, well, I'm not ungodly. In God's sight, we're ungodly. In fact, self-righteousness probably takes more people to hell than anything else. It says, Christ died for the ungodly. But God commendeth, and that's an old word that means simply proved. God proved His love His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, not worthy of salvation, but while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, it's sin that separates us from God. In fact, in Isaiah 59.2, God says, Your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid His face from you that He will not hear. You say, well, Pastor, what sin are you talking about here? Well, if you've ever placed anything ahead of God, if you've ever made anything a priority over God, if you've ever uh, put God on the back burner for anything, you violated the first commandment. If you've ever made a God of your own image, your own mush God, that suits your sinful life and, and suits your standard, and lowered the bar so low that you, you know, a loving God wouldn't send anyone to hell, you violated the second commandment. If you've ever taken God's name in vain, you violated the third commandment. If you've ever failed to honor the Lord's day, you violated the fourth commandment. 
If you've ever disobeyed or dishonored your parents, ever, you violated the fifth commandment. If you've ever been mad at somebody, bitter towards somebody, harbored a grudge towards somebody, you violated the sixth commandment. If you've ever lusted after the opposite sex, you violated the seventh commandment. If you've ever taken something from somebody that wasn't yours or even goofed around on the boss's time, you violated the eighth commandment. If you've ever told a lie, you violated the ninth commandment. If you've ever coveted, coveted after something you didn't have, didn't need, something else, somebody say had it, you wanted it, you know, whether person or thing, you violated the tenth commandment. Most people have violated all of them, if not most of them. We say, what sin? Well, we could talk about other stubbornness and selfishness and pride and losing our temper, and, and we wouldn't even be getting into the ten I've just mentioned. The point is, we're sinners. And our iniquities have separated between you and your God. And that's God talking. And your sins have hid His face from you that He will not hear. So here we are. We're lost. We're sinful. We're condemned. How can we be made right with God? How can we be made righteous with God? That's a big question. Much bigger than even how, how can we get to heaven? The, uh, that's great. But, but how can we be made righteous with God? Well, Jesus Christ went to Calvary's cross shed blood on that cross to pay the price for our sins so that we could be born again. What made it possible? Well, turn a few pages forward again to 1 Peter chapter 1. And notice with me, if you would, in verse 18. It says, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Notice what made it possible. The shed blood of Jesus Christ made it possible for our sins to be forgiven. There's a woman by the name of Rose McMullen. She's traveled from coast to coast giving blood transfusions. She's she's got some really rare blood that overcomes some kind of certain disease. She's given over 400 transfusions in over 40 states. In fact, she was in New York one morning giving blood to a 25-year-old new mother and they flew her to Salt Lake City right afterwards uh, to give blood to somebody else there. In fact, she gave blood to two people at the same time in Portland, Oregon once. I mean, she's a champion blood donor and she has this really rare blood, very precious blood. But let me tell you something. There's somebody who had far more precious blood. His blood saved souls. His blood was that of the Son of God. And I am redeemed, but not with silver. I am bought, but not with gold. Bought with a price. The blood of Jesus. Precious price of love. Untold. And that's what verse 19 says. You weren't saved with any of these other things, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Your soul cost the Son of God His life. Plain and simple. Look in chapter 2 of 1 Peter, if you would. Notice now verse 25. It says, For ye were as sheep going astray, but now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Thank God for salvation. Now here's where most people go wrong. They think it's automatic. I live in America. It's a Christian nation. Jesus died on the cross. I'm going to heaven. No, it's not automatic. It must be appropriated to your sins. It must be accepted by faith. It it comes when we are willing to turn from our sins, the Bible calls it repentance, and turn to Jesus Christ, the Bible calls it faith, 
And that repentance and faith, the Siamese twins of salvation, with us calling upon the Lord and asking them to save us, is what saves us, plain and simple. We read in 1 John 4, 9, In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. God didn't suffer to save any junk. He sent His only begotten Son into this world that we might live through Him. Mark it down, friend. You are valuable to God. You are valuable to God. The only true valuable, valuable possession you have is your soul. The rest of it you're going to leave behind. Your soul is valuable, plain and simple. So focus your effort on that. You know, we primp the body, don't we? And we pamper the body, don't we? We even pump the body, don't we? We make all this do, uh, do about the body. We, we pursue some things. We, we pursue money. And we, we polish our cars. All these things. But there's that soul. So valuable. Don't underestimate the value of your soul. God hasn't. Satan hasn't. Jesus Christ didn't, by the way. Christ said in John 15, 9, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Notice that little two-letter word. It starts out with, as. You and I can't imagine how the Father loved the Son, but Jesus said, as the Father hath loved me. So, in the same way, have I loved you. How do we perceive what we mean to God? Well, John 3.16 says it. Not the one you're thinking of. The other John 3.16. 1 John 3.16 says, Hereby perceive we the love of God. Because He laid down His life for us. Isn't that simple? How do we perceive it? Because He laid down His life for us. There are many things of value in this world. In fact, I heard that if you took all the gold that's in mind, been mined in the whole world, it would fill a cube about 65 feet square in every direction. Doesn't seem like much. You know, we got an altar here that's probably that long. But here's this cube of gold and it's, it's priceless. But you're worth more. In our text we read a moment ago, Jesus saying in Matthew 10.31, Fear ye not, therefore, you're more value than many sparrows. Mark those words, more value, more value. This is missions month at Fargo Baptist Church here. One soul is worth more than the whole world because of its image, because of its immortality, because of its implications, because of its importance. May God help us by his grace to never underestimate the value of your soul. You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Puppet Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.